Hey everyone, it's David Warrench. Welcome again to the Authentic Dad Podcast. Today, I have a really cool guy named Robin Waite, W-A-I-T-E on the, on the show. He wrote a book called Take Your Shot, How to Grow Your Business, Attract More Clients, and Make More Money, a topic I haven't covered yet. What I like about this one is it's kind of wide-ranging. He talks about um, not just business, but money mindset, something we haven't talked about yet here. And um, Ikigai, Ikigai, I-K-I-G-A-I, if you've never heard of that Japanese concept of how to have a great life, the good life, uh, we talk about that, and that was something that I was familiar with, and it's very helpful if you don't know about it. Please reach out to me, F-U-R-T-H-U-R.coach, and you can sign up, say hi, you can do a free 30-minute phone discovery call, I'm coaching, let's do it, 2022, and also... Uh, if you want to be a guest or know somebody who wants to be a guest, I very much appreciate everyone's support. We'll see you on the other side. Take care. Okay, I'm here with Robin. Wait, Robin is the founder of Fearless Business, a regular speaker at various business events and best-selling author of several books, including Online Business Startup, Marketing Machine, and the recent popular release, Take Your Shot, which I have right here, which is excellent. He put uh, two decades of business experience to work, coaching clients to reach their goals, create more time, and increase their revenue. From the age of 18, he spent four years as a systems analyst for a medical devices company, and he increased their turnover by 50% from uh, 1 million to 1.5 million. It's not, it's a different metric. <laughs> that I'm, that I'm <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm the other side of the pond, just in case anybody's wondering. The other side of the pond. Uh, he's he, From 20, 2004 to 2016, he led a successful marketing agency, serving over 250 clients during this time, delivering workshops, masterclasses, helped over 1,000 business owners improve their marketing product architecture, pricing, websites, digital advertising. And he's also a husband and a father to two young girls, a surfer and Sunday warrior or road cyclist. He hates going up hills, though. It's well known at his local cycling club for his descending at speeds more than 50 miles an hour down the hills. And, wow, this is cool, holds the Guinness Book of World Records for participating in the largest ever speed networking event, um, has raised over 5K, is it 5 euro, 5K? What is it? Uh, uh, pound sterling, 5,000 pounds. 5,000 pounds, for local children's charity in the last four years and has a goal to help remove 100 kilograms of plastic from the world's oceans within the next 12 months via another charity supports 40 Ocean. That's a biography, my friend. Thank you so much for doing this. <laughs> That's 20 years worth of stuff like crammed into one page of biography. So it's a, it's a pleasure, David. Thank you for having so me on. So cool. And, and he's, got, um, he's got the T-shirt that says Fearless, which is, which is, which is so nice. He looks really cool. I want to start. I want to hear like how you got there, but I, he, Robin was so kind. He sent me his book and I, I was, I, I did, I, oh, I'm reading through it and the forward is wonderful. And I just want to quote, you know, he says one roll of the dice. That's all any of us get on this planet, whether you are religious, spiritual, atheist, or haven't got a fucking clue. That's beautiful, man. <laughs> Well, like, you've credited me with that, but actually it was some um, guy called Dan Meredith who um, oh, yeah. wrote the foreword for me for the book. But um, yeah, we share a similar sort of philosophy with the, the, the work that we do and the approach, definitely, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think not to just sort of start on a morbid note, as you said, not to start your book on a morbid note, but 
as I get older, I'm not very old, but as I get older, I sort of keep reminding myself that um, we're going to die. And so much so that I have this app on my phone called We Croak. And it, 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 it <laughs> seriously, it gives me like five times a day. It says, you're going to die. And it gives you a quote. Of course, my family thinks I'm crazy. Every time there's a notification and my daughter, if she has my phone, she's like, really, man? We're going to, uh, it says, um, uh, you're going to die. You're going to die. And actually it's very, very helpful because it, it recenters me. Like, all right, am I, am I having a good day? Am I doing what I want? Am I, you know, um, wasting my time? So I actually think it's a wonderful way to start a book. Does it actually predict like the day and the year, like when it's going to happen or is it just a generic, like, it's just, it gives you a notification. I think it's based on some type of, um, I don't know if it's Tibetan or Buddhist, where you contemplate it like five times a day, and just, just uh, because okay. the more you accept death, you know the idea is the more you can live, and it just gives you a little quote. And it, it's, I know it's, you know, my wife is like, why do you have this? <laughs> I find it very helpful, actually. So, but I, I don't think people pay enough attention to that. And mm-hmm. um, I, I was there's a good friend of mine, um, Dan Priestley, who's mm-hmm. he's written several books as well. You know, very much in the business scene here in Australia and um, mm-hmm. a couple of other countries as well. Singapore, I think they're based too. But he he posted in a Facebook group about because um, his thing is all about writing books. Uh-huh. That, that's how we connected. And um, he's saying that an acquaintance of his several years ago said, "Oh, you know, I, I, I'm going to write a book." And Dan said, "Yeah, you write a book. You go and do that because you've got loads of great things, like mm-hmm. great stories to tell and loads of knowledge that people need to know." And then they met up a couple of years later and this guy still hadn't written his book. He said, yeah, I'm going to write the book. And Dan said, you must write the book. And then uh, very sadly, recently, you know, mm-hmm. going to stick with the morbid theme for a yeah, little yeah. bit longer, but he did pass away. Mm. But he passed away and took all the ideas with him because he never yeah. wrote that book. And in a way, I, obviously it's very sad, but in a way it's also quite selfish if you think about it, you know, because I believe that every every individual has a even though they may not feel that their story is in any way unique or different to the next person or any of the other 7 billion people on this planet, I can pretty much guarantee that everybody's circumstances are in way, some way unique and most importantly, helpful to somebody else. Um, yes. And my, my seven year old daughter made a really interesting um, observation about the world uh, two days ago or three days ago, we were out in the garden chatting and I'm building a deck out in, in the back, just a nice part of the garden to sit and she looked at me and she said, and she's seven. She said, daddy, I've just realized, do you think there's anybody else in the world called Poppy who's seven, who lives in Selsley West, who mm. has a father called Robin, who has a dog called Wilbur. And she listed off all this stuff. And I was like, no, like you're completely unique. Your circumstance is completely and, unique. And, and even if there was by name, that situation still completely unique. Nobody has that genetic makeup, life experiences, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it was remarkable. I mean, for a seven-year-old as well, like incredibly philosophical to look at the mm. world that way. But I think that's why kids are so. Um, uh, what's the word? They're just they're so pure in terms of their thinking and, and intuitive. There's nothing clouding that. Yeah. Yeah. No. You I'm... know, a grown-up, their view on a, on on that world. A grown-up would just be, well, does that matter? You know, what's important to me? My work's important to me. Mm. I need to get back to work. I need to go and earn money. I need to go and get the car washed or whatever it might be. You know, I think as adults, we kind of forget about the playful kind of creative side of the world that we live in. We really, really do. And we get so locked into all of it and the routines and 
um, I'm going to a concert coming up, uh, hopefully, thankfully, hopefully it won't get canceled because of COVID, but it was just going to this one event. It's two hours away was so disruptive that I had to like move around my schedule and do this and do this and do this, all this planning just to go to this thing. And just adulting is, you know, we're really, um, I, I guess just locked into our routines, our schedules, um, everything you have to do. It's a, it's, it's, it's very difficult. I, when I, was, I remember in college, one of the professors I had said he doesn't really like working with, with uh, you know, I was a kid at the time, so-called adults, because he said they turn off their brains at some point. And yeah. college students were so much more open-minded. That always stuck with me. So I always, I always think, hopefully, that I don't become the guy who turns off his, his brain. Um, I mean, I'm probably in some, in some ways, but hopefully not to what the extent he was talking about. Yeah. It's, it'd be interesting to, to, to understand sort of why he said that and where that was, where that came from. But I do see a lot of, um, this is going in an interesting direction, isn't it? But I, mm -hmm. this is just an, my observation. I see a lot of sort of men who are more of my sort of father's generation, you know, um, and grandparents' generation sort of in their late sixties, early seventies and eighties who, kind of they are just very switched off they're very robotic very yes. they've kind of forgotten about all the great things which they've learned and all the skills which they've been given you know over the, over the lifetime and it's rare that you see people putting that knowledge and you know to good use i think when you start to get a bit older and it, it you know i i like to think I, I like i said i'm building the deck i play with my kids regularly i i've got my business i've got all these really interesting things which keep my mind occupied but there must there must be a point for some people where it's like they just lose interest in that. Yeah, well, my favorite artist, Bob Dylan, eighty years old, pre COVID, still on tour, and he always said, "People always, why don't you retire, Bob?" He said, "Why should I retire?" I mean, Willie Nelson's still on tour; he's in his eighties. He sort of was offended by why? Why should I? I'm healthy. I'm, I love what I do. You know, it's, that's it. Uh, and he's and he's at a creative peak. He just released a new album, and it's it's very inspiring. Um, well, they do say, don't they? I can't remember who the quote was from, but they do say that if you find something that you love doing, you should never have to work another day in your life. Yeah, I haven't found that yet, but maybe you have. That's a good pivot. Let's hear about, because I do think it is relevant to why, from what I know about you, from when we talk, why you decided to do what you do. So sort of bring us back a little bit, um, how you landed as this fearless business coach. And I will say the the, the things that you sent me uh, are just beautiful. Like I love the t-shirt. I love... I love the whole, the whole vibe that you've created. It's, it's nice. Yeah. The fearless business. So one of the, one of the mistakes people make when they hear the word fearless is they um, get it mixed up with the word reckless. So mm -hmm. reckless is like doing crazy things without any planning or thought or anything like that. Fearless business is slightly different. So fear, the idea behind fearless was that it's, um, it's more so around business space, but I suppose it's appropriate for any walks of life, but fearing the things in business or life slightly less that is stopping you, holding you back from achieving your goals right now. Um, yeah. In the business world, this could be something very simple, like, um, you know, going, even just going to a networking meeting where you're going to meet 30 or 40 strangers and talk business with them. Some people have a massive fear around doing that. Or, yes. you know, the next level up from that is actually being stood in front of those, that group of 40 people and having to deliver a 60 second pitch or heaven forbid, do an actual talk in front of them. But the reality is like, there's only, there's only a couple of things that ever go wrong in business. You know, it's, it, 
in life, you if you had to walk down to the river on the, you know the banks of the Sahara every day, you know there's going to be lions and scorpions and crocodiles and things like that that you have to navigate. In business, the reality is there's only two things that can ever go wrong, and well, really, there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong, but the two big ones are you can lose a bit of face, so you can lo- look a bit stupid, or the second thing is you can lose a bit of money, and the reality is actually mm-hmm. that neither of those are that bad, and. So where, where it all actually started, I, I mean, I won't give you the, you gave a good sort of pricey of my, my, you know, my backstory, but, um, at the start. So, yeah. um, I ran the agency marketing agency for 12 years and it got to a point. So I was between my youngest and my eldest daughter, who was my el- youngest was about to be do- born in about three weeks. We had two planned cesareans and I'd been running this agency. I, I thought that everything I, I was passionate about what I did. I, I got great results for my clients and. I thought our clients respected and enjoyed the work which we'd done together. And one day, um, I, I don't know if it's okay to swear, but there's a swear Please. word in the story. So I drop it like it is and see what, see what happens. But, um, so I, I went to a networking event and I got introduced. Um, well, one of my existing clients came up to me and he said, Oh, Robin, I've got these two guys. I want to introduce you to They really could be great clients for you. And one I'd already met and had been nurturing them for a while and would have loved to have worked with them anyway my client happy little puppy dog takes me over to these two people and he says this is robin he's my web bitch <laughs> and i was like that was like a dagger to the heart because i don't nobody wants to be anybody's bitch no. right? it's it's uh certainly you don't want to be described that way and uh or thought of in that way and i i realized in that moment that we had 120 bosses who were effectively bossing me and my team around and yeah, we were getting paid okay for it, but it felt like an awful lot of work, you know, doing 60, 70 plus hour weeks, not really seeing the family, just about getting paid enough to make it worthwhile. What, and what an inappropriate and awkward way to introduce you. Well, yeah. yeah. And I, the trouble is, I mean, I, I did fire the client because, you know, unfortunately many a truth said in jest and it made me look a bit deeper. at yeah. that relate. And he was kind of like, no, no, I was only joking. And I said, yeah, but come on, you know, you don't, you can't be that unprofessional, yeah. you know, with when there are people I want to work with. Yeah, unfortunately, um, I find myself saying that. I was just joking. Damn, why did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just some things you keep in your yeah. head. But, uh, but, but the the pivotal moment for me was um, so I, I you mentioned about going out cycling with my buddies. Well, the first time I went down a hill, um, <laughs> my the, the fastest speed I've done is fifty two and a half miles an hour down a hill on a push bike. Mm. The first time I did it, it popped, pinged up on my little bike computer and said, you, "You've gone the fastest you've ever been." And I and I I broke down at the bottom of the hill, like cr- me, not my bike. I broke down crying at the bottom of the hill just cause it all came out. And, um, I sent my cycling buddies back off to the cafe and it ended up next to a, a railway line, not, not for ne- necessarily nefarious reasons, but just because it was a quiet place when there weren't trains whizzing past, it was a quiet place to contemplate life. And, um, you know, you were talking about sort of, uh, Buddhist, you know, thinking about death and things like that well that was my moment where i was thinking this is, I, enough is enough i can't carry on living this life that i'm not 100 percent fulfilled by yeah and i remembered no i've got a daughter arriving in three weeks time so we had the date plan cesarean and it's going to happen i was like i've got to meet her so really i'm i've got sophie to thank for the fact that mm-hmm. i'm still here and and the other girls as well obviously but in that moment train went flashing past and i was like well i'm not dumb enough to throw myself in front of it but what am i going to do and Literally, I went home and my wife's yeah eight months pregnant at this point. And this is your first, like, darling, first child? Uh, second oh, one. Second one. Second one. Mm-hmm. So I was like, darling, like, we need to talk. I said, um, 
uh, got some news. Finally decided what I'm going to do about this sort of unhappiness that I've been feeling. So, oh, good. Excellent. What are you going to do? I'm going to shut the agency down. Mm. <laughs> so international sign of distress went out, like hands waving in the air and a bit of shouting and stuff. Like, you stupid. We're about, we're to, about have to have another kid. Hey, I'm quitting. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but, but, you know, she's amazingly supportive. Um, uh, and I won't give the gory details, but I've, I've struggled with sort of mental health and depression and things like that yeah. anyway, throughout sort of my late twenties and into my, through my thirties and th- come out the other side of it. And it's mostly down to my wife's amazing support. And, um, uh, in that it was also a great opportunity just to chill out for like three months and, you know, the business kind of ticked over. I had a plan for that. Um, I didn't literally just shut the doors. It was just, it, 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 we, I just didn't take on any new clients and it was supported itself. Um, and had somebody there who could do the work. And I, I took three months out and had, had a chance to one, enjoy paternity time with my new yeah. family, but also just to plan basically set some goals for myself. What is it that I'm going to do? What do I want to achieve with the rest of my life? You know, what, how much money do I want to earn? Who do I like working with? How, how do I like working with them? So I designed the whole of like the coaching program and it's such a remarkable thing to, to take on as the second child is, is being born, <laughs> you know, it's amazing. Yeah, but it, but, there, but, but it's, it's all about creating space for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, how, I don't know what, you know, you can never predict what might have happened if I'd carried on running the agency yeah. and carried on driving myself into the, into the floor and not being in that happy space. But for me in those three months, it was all about just having creative, like thinking time space, just to try and work some stuff out. And I think even if I'd not come up with a solution or an answer, I mean, I'm a problem solver. So it's what I do. So Mm -hmm. I was going to come up with an answer for something and do something, but even if I hadn't, I think I would have been quite happy with just having had that peace Mm. for a while. Yeah. Um, you know, and enjoy the time, you know, more importantly, enjoy the time of the family. Yeah, like like we got the, during during this time, a lot of a lot of people saying that you know it was horrible to be locked down, but got to reshifted everything, spend time with my family. Every, you know the the change was important for you. Yeah, well, look, lockdown was interesting because um, I struggled with it mm-hmm. um, right at the start. Um, I remember the day here in in the UK. It was March the twenty sixth last year when they announced it. it was a Thursday night. And, um, I had a big, big plan for 2020, David, yeah. big plans. And they announced it and, uh, I cried. Mm. I'm not, I'm not a big crier, but I, that day I cried. Cause it was kind of like, you know, we had all the build up. This it. was going to be your year. It, sounds, it was going to be your year. Yeah. It sounds like. Yeah. And I had, um, the reason why it was going to be my year is cause I'd planned. Uh, and again, this was part of my, this is part of my strategy around goal setting. Mm-hmm. Have a one big hairy audacious goal, and like what I do is I tend to batch it into seasons. So mm-hmm. I'll um, like you know last year I was going to do twelve speaking big speaking engagements in twelve months. That was my goal. Mm-hmm. So one a month, and by big, not big by some people's standards, but for me, two hundred and fifty per- plus person conferences and events. And um, I had seven booked uh, at that time, like March the twenty sixth, and um, really like big, big things. Like, uh, one was a Google partners, oh, wow. um, conference for, um, uh, you know, global, it's the global Excel summit. So a load of, you know, Excel consultants, nerds, which was just amazing. And we did it anyway <laughs> online, but a year later, and it was just brilliant. Um, large pharmaceutical company wanted me to speak at an 1100 person conference. Um, again, it did eventually happen, but it was online, but then five got canceled just like that. And yeah, 
it's kind of it's really hard when you've set a goal for yourself and then just to have it removed you know through no fault and, of your own. and i want to go back to what you said so when you say you batch goals is it like all right this year is going to be my speaking event year and next year is going to be tell me a little bit more about the batching yeah so that's exactly it so last year was going to get me on the map you know so far as speaking was concerned mm -hmm. um uh another goal was so i like i, I like round numbers as well <laughs> you, you'll start to get a picture of the sort of person i am uh so to do 100 podcast episodes which we've done so um, it's actually my goal you know, yeah well they, and it's a big goal. it's such people like underestimate i think the it takes hours um, just how to release work. one yeah yeah it's it's like an epic amount of yeah. work um you know, that's, I think the average number of podcasts people release is something like seven episodes and then they realize how hard it is to actually do it properly. Yeah. I'm in the forties, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make a hundred. Yeah. 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 You will. Well, you've, you've gone through, if you've gone through seven, that's it. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but it, but it, yeah. So it's, it's, uh, we wanted to get to a hundred podcast episodes. Um, sometimes it might just be rather than it being like a hundred of something mm -hmm. or 20 of something. Sometimes it's like, you know, so this year is, is the year of my next book. Mm -hmm. So, um, just chuntering through doing, you know, doing the work on that sort of regularly oh, as well. This is really interesting. Now, is this a system and, and we can, we can finish the tale of how you, you landed here, but cause I think it started with goals. Is this some system that you created or did you, are you following someone? You know, there's a lot of like goal programs and books written about goals. Cause I really, this really resonates with me, the, the batching. Um, well, it, it's, um, so I, it actually came originally, it was inspired by Think and Grow Rich by yep. Napoleon Hill. Mm -hmm. Now, the idea of manifestation doesn't, it doesn't sit well with me. Yeah. Manifestation without action is just a dream, right? Yeah. So, and that, that's one side of the book, which I didn't like. And it crept into, there's another book called The Secret, which was essentially sure. like a, a, a part of the philosophy of things. Yeah, I mean, rich, new, new but... thought is basically where it comes from, which which I think was around, you know, way, way even before Thinking Grow Rich came out. I, 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 one, I think it was during the pandemic, I went on a little bit of a deep dive on new thought and the history of it, and I watched documentaries. It's very interesting, actually. But, um... Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting, but also it's very easy to get sucked into sure. it. So when you start to get into YouTube videos about it, mm -hmm. and there's, a, there's actually a lot of, um, uh, this is probably a bit of a, uh, you know, for the listeners, a mm -hmm. bit of a warning just to watch out for this sort of stuff. But there's a, a lot of, um, I hate to use the word scammers, like, sure. um, just prey on people who are into manifestation and things like that, because it, it's, it's almost like, a. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, I have nothing against religion. I'm, I'm not personally religious, but I have faith, if that makes sense. Absolutely. But it's almost like they sell it like a religious cult. And then, and then um, what happens is they shame the person. So the person says, well, you know, the thing that you taught, you taught me how to manifest, right? And, and, and it didn't happen. And then they shame the person, right? Oh, you yeah, didn't you do it right. You didn't do it right. Or yeah. you don't, you're not manifesting or your heart's not in it. You said, if I follow this, I was going to make a hundred thousand dollars this year. And you'd... so it's, it's very shame based if done in that sort of predatory way. That's it. And so, but think and grow rich though, there was, um, the, the, and people I think sometimes miss this. Mm -hmm. It's about rather than spreading yourself too thin, which I think a lot of people do, you know, in, in this day and age, it's about having one clear focus in terms of what you're working towards. Mm. But then have a plan, back it up with with action. So it's it's a bit like if you were um, going to uh, plug a zip code into a um, you know sat nav to to take you from A to B, you would never get into your car and drive four thousand miles unless probably maybe unless you've driven that route ten times before or something. 
and it's the same with life and same with business. Like you wouldn't just set out on a destination to a hundred K and not know what that, not have any idea about what that route or plan looks like to get there. So you punch your, your zip code into a sat nav and then it starts to like reverse engineer the route for you. And it gives you the most optimal route. Yeah. And if you hit a traffic jam or an accident, you know, then it reroutes you. It goes, goes a different path. And so the idea is that, um, but if you, again, if you've got too many goals, you, you wouldn't just randomly start driving to 10 different destinations. It would get way too confusing. And which one do you go to first and, yeah. and everything else? I think you bring so up. So we have to have one, one big goal to focus on. Such an excellent point. And I see it in myself and at least other than speak for myself, it's, um, for me, and maybe you see this in clients as sometimes there's a restlessness, right? You, yeah. right, you start this idea and you do it for a while, like this other bright, shiny thing and this other bright, shiny thing and this other bright, shiny thing. And then you sort of dig a, a hundred holes. You never hit water because, and I find myself sometimes moving from thing to thing to thing. Um, and, uh, the, that is restlessness. And that can be yeah. a barrier. There's also um, a, a great, uh, so we have a mindset coach in, in Fearless in our team as mm -hmm. well. So she does, Kate does these amazing calls once a week with our clients as a group. And um, she she takes much more spiritual, she's like the yin to my yang. She takes a much more spiritual approach to the work which we do. But she uses a model which the Japanese use called Ikigai. Oh, I'm quite very familiar. Just had the Olympics. Excellent, excellent so, thing to use. Oh, it's, it's massive. And it ties in so, so clearly with like goals and why we don't get stuff finished. So I, I don't know why more people don't know about this. I, I'm sure I know lots of people do, but many people don't. And this is such a great tool. I love Ikigai. Yeah. Well, it, Ikigai is based on sort of four, mm -hmm. four core pillars, four corners. Um, and I, I don't know how true this is. Mm -hmm. I haven't researched it enough myself personally, but from what I understand, like all Japanese people live by Ikigai. It's mm -hmm. there. It's like one of their guiding stars. So, um, it's about the, the four pillars and hopefully I get these right are and fill in the blanks as well, David, if, if I miss one. So we have passion, purpose, vocation, and profit. Yes. Okay. Passion, so purpose, provided you've got all four in place that you you've then achieved Ikigai. Mm -hmm. Um, so when, so take, for example, like, um, we were talking, I was talking with a friend about the Kieran racing at the Olympics. They cycle mm -hmm. and it's massive in Japan and they actually gamble on these cycling races. Right. Um, this ran a, a 250 meter circuit and they have to have the same stock bikes, you know, so you can't deviate or create custom bikes or anything like that. It's the same stock kit. Yeah. So they make it as fair as possible. And people gamble serious amounts of money on this. The riders get prize money for it. They have coaches who also get a cut of the prize money and also it's, it's serious business. And somebody was saying that, well, that's not, not ethical seeing these people sort of, you know, um, uh, racing and betting on it and gambling and this, that, and the other, but, but actually it fits with Ikigai because if they're passionate about cycling, if their vocation is to get out there and teach others on, on mm. how to cycle and make a living from it, if they're profiting from it. So actually it meets all four corners, like oh, that's Ikigai really well. And they, and you know, there'll be kids coming through and if they're, if they're racing professionally and they teach the kids to ride bikes, they're fulfilling the next generation of I Ikigai, if that makes sense. And, and even when, uh, let's say, for example, uh, um, if somebody was a teacher and they come to the end of their career in Japan, uh -huh. they don't just retire. So here in the Western civilization, we retire, we take our, in the US, your 401k, right. or I take my, you know, your Roth IRA or, what, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever savings you've got and your pension from the, the UK government. And you, you 
retire at 68 or whatever the age is. Okay. But in Japan retirement, there's no word for retirement. Hmm. You don't retire. You stop teaching and you carry on teaching. You go and teach in the community. You oh, carry on giving yeah. back. Yeah. And it, no, like it's that. incredibly powerful. Yeah. yeah. When you have that sense of purpose. Always a teacher. It gives me purpose. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. Yeah. Icky guys, someone turned me on to it and, and, um, it really does clarify things. Uh, what is it? How do you spell it? And I'll, 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 just so people can know it says I K A G A I. Is it something like that? Uh, I K I G A I. I K I G A. And I think it's sort of, yeah. there are templates all over the internet that you could download and, and instructions. So I think you can do it on your own. It doesn't have to cost money. And it's really powerful. Yeah, there's there's a book, self-titled book called Icky Guy as well, mm -hmm. which explains the principles. And the idea is like, so if, if you notice there's a, a gap in your life, so mm -hmm. for example, what you, you mentioned there, and I, I don't want to go into the realms of coaching, but just, mm -hmm. you know, maybe if it's okay to give you a bit of feedback. Yeah. If, if, if you're a, a starter, not a finisher. Yeah. So you start these things and then you get draw, attracted and drawn to the next. Yeah, thing. I would say that I'm both, but, but. I, I do. I have a lot of ideas, and I think a lot of people do. Yeah, there's a restlessness for sure. Mm -hmm. So that restlessness mm -hmm. will be because there'll be one element of Icky Guy, mm -hmm. and we can't say which one it is because it will change from thing to thing that you shift from. Mm -hmm. But there'll be one thing which isn't fulfilling Icky Guy, if you like. So it leaves this gap, this corner of this, this cornerstone that's missing. Yeah, which part would it not fulfill? Let's see, passion, purpose. I mean, I guess it could be any of them. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It, it could be. Mm -hmm. So from one thing, it might be purpose that's missing. You go right. on to the next shiny thing. It might be profit that's missing. Right. You go on to the next shiny thing. It might, you know. I see what you mean. So yes. it, it could yeah. change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, th and at that point, so when, when you look at the diagrams, if you if you do download a book or go into Google and, mm -hmm. and pop Icky Guy into Google, it will show you. So if, if say, for example, you've recognized that purpose is missing, it will tell you like what actually where that leaves you in your life, if you like. Mm -hmm. And so if we then f fill up purpose or find a way within that idea to add purpose back in, if that's the thing that's missing, then you align with Icky guy and sort of that gives you then the motivation to continue with it. And and that's cool. So you, as part of your, your program have a mindset coach that, that this is one component of it. Yeah. Love yeah, it. Absolutely. Love it. Um, since I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm going to sort of switch gears. So we talked a little bit Please about do. goals, which I think is really awesome. Batching, icky guy, um, anything else you want to add? Cause I have, since I have you and you're a business coach, I'm, I want to, I want to talk about price strategy. I get uh, cool. Yeah. Well, the, the, the pricing side of things is interesting. Cause um, I mean, pricing again, is it's, it's mostly a mindset thing. So um, yeah. This is something I've struggled with as, as I'm an, I am self-employed. I'm an attorney. I have many friends who are the same and this may sound surprising, but a lot of the kind of stuff that I do for a living and my friends do, they struggle with, you know, people think lawyers charge all this money, but they struggle with charging enough and discounting and, and what the charge. And there's so much, there's so much here. Uh, you, you, I know you have a talk about it and some of the points that, that you make is why and we can, you can, you can, um, start to 
pick these apart, but why it's important not to discount. I also think it's interesting to say how, how too much demand for a product and service can negatively impact a business. Maybe, maybe start there. Why does too much demand can, how can that negatively impact a business? I think that's very interesting. Well, th think about it this way. So, you know, if, if, um, uh, let's think of a practical example, you know, if it's so a quite a common thing for take trade tradesmen, for example, mm -hmm. so electricians or plumbers or things yes. like that, quite often they've got work stacking up mm -hmm. for months in advance. Okay. Especially in this climate where everybody's been stuck at home and found problems with their houses. Definitely. And, and maybe it's too costly to move or they can't because of jobs and circumstances have meant that they now can't afford to move. They're doing renovations to their house. So you've got these tradesmen with work stacking up mm -hmm. now, and, and that's because there's too much demand there and they haven't been able to artificially reduce that demand by increasing their prices. Okay. The reason why it's bad is because that next four months or five months or six months worth of demand, which they've artificially created by re like re reducing supply because they've only got so much time. Uh -huh. What it means is they've got six months worth of cash sat on the table. Mm. They can't collect it because they can't physically do the work. Ah. And so their business, you know, business, um, again, without sounding too crude, yeah. the, the first goal of business is to make profit, right, right. to make money. Okay. Obviously you can do that with all of the things that we talked about, passion, purpose, vision, mission, values, all of the rest of it. You know, we do it, we do it ethically. We do it morally correctly, but ultimately it's about making money because otherwise if the business is losing money, it goes under. Okay. Yeah. You go bankrupt, um, or you can't survive for a very long period of time. So when you've got all this cash that you're just leaving on the table, it just erodes profitability within the business. Right. So actually what we want to do is we want to artificially, you know, reduce demand by increasing our prices so that rather than having a six months waiting list, we have fewer clients who are ready and willing with cash to pay us more now. Right. And in, and in theory, perhaps more ideal clients, clients that are more valuing your services, um, I'm reluctant to use the word better, but maybe more ideal because they see, yeah, they see the value I, I, they're willing and I'll able honest, to pay for one, yeah. yeah. The one, the one piece of feedback, the most common piece of feedback I get mm -hmm. when we encourage clients to go through the gears on their pricing, um, is, is I can't believe how much better my clients are. They're easier to work with. Mm -hmm. They get my, they understand my value. They, they don't question my processes. Um, you know, they, they do the work, which we've agreed to do because there's a contract in place and there's, there's kind of both parties at this point have more skin in the game. So the person buying the product at a higher price because they're, they're spending more, so they yeah. want it to work out. They'll do everything they can to protect their investment. And the person selling that product, because now they've got fewer clients, they've actually got more time to deliver a better quality product. So they can, yeah. they can focus much more heavily on the client and, and, and they it's can, a much they, better relationship. They can so-called move the product instead of having this, you know, waiting period for six months. And then I would imagine once you're moving, I'm, I'm actually thinking in terms of my, not, not that my cases are products, you're sort of opening yourself up more because you're moving things. You're sort of weeding out people who maybe aren't willing, aren't able, or aren't, aren't your ideal clients. And I think, I think the, the, the mindset shift there, maybe you could talk more about that as what, right? Because if you're undercharging, discounting, tell me about the money mindset of, of people. And I've been there when I first started, whether it's a law firm or a plumbing business or you're selling widgets, what are some of the mindset, money mindset blocks of discounting or not charging enough? Or, 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 or the sort of like, why do people have trouble shifting into letting clients go and charging more?
Yeah, well, th- you think of it like, um, so imagine that those two words, mm-hmm. how much? Mm-hmm. Okay, so when, when like, you probably don't, you probably dislike, this is the royal you, not necessarily you, mm-hmm. David, but the royal you, you probably dislike people saying, asking you how much something is. Mm-hmm. And consequently, on the flip side to that, you also dislike hearing it. You don't like clients saying how much, mm-hmm. right? So, and the client doesn't like ask, doesn't like asking it. It's a bit like having two magnets with the plus side, both pointing together, yeah, yeah. right? They, they push each other apart. And that's actually what's happening in that relationship. One of you has to be happy, com- com- comfortable and confident in your ability to deliver great results for that client. Mm-hmm. Okay. The clue is in what I just said. It has to be, if the person selling is happy and comfortable selling at that price point, and then conversely to that, that person is then, you know, it's a fair value exchange and they understand the value they're getting. It's like the two magnets dunk, joining together. Yeah. Um, where it comes from, though, is more interesting because um, your money mindset, your money blueprint is actually installed in you by your parents, mostly um, between the ages of about three and seven. OK, now I, I have two kids, they're seven and five now, and I would say that they can both count. They, the younger one can't really add up, but neither of them really quite understand what a fair value exchange is. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in part, that's because maybe over time they've heard me and my wife, probably more so my wife than me, because I, I coach around this stuff now and I understand it much better. Um, but uh, things like, oh, you can't have those trainers because they're too expensive. We can't go on holiday this year because we can't afford it. Uh, money doesn't grow on trees. Money is the root of all evil. Oh, look at that Range Rover. Isn't that grotesque? Look at all that wealth. Mm-hmm. Like people, 99% of the population, we're not born with a silver spoon in our mouth. We're not born with trust funds available to us. So we have to live within our means. And what it's meant is our parents have inadvertently, and it happens generation to generation to generation, because these sayings mostly have been around for yes. so many hundreds of years now. Um, they just get passed down like sto- like bad stories, unfortunately. Um, and then, then those stories, like anything, but eventually we own it, it becomes a belief. And then we rely on that money blueprint that we got given as a three-year-old. Right. And we tr- try and trust that as an adult and as a business owner to like give us good, useful information. This, and it's, it's fundamentally flawed. This makes such sense to me. And I remember growing up and I love my parents. They did the best they could. Of course, like all parents, but, but I definitely kind of have this or, or, or did have this kind of um, not an abundance mindset, more of a fear, like a scarcity mindset around money. So when I started my practice, which has been 12 years or so, it was like, well, I better take this client or something on for less money because I don't know if I'm going to get another one or another one or why turn down good business or take what you can get because who not like a fear and scarcity mindset versus abundance, which would be like, well, I can let this one go. There's plenty of work. I'll do, you know, there'll be another client. My pipeline will be filled. And I really had to unlearn that. Yeah. Very unhelpful. And it's, you wouldn't, you would not believe like how common it is as well. Mm -hmm. Like this is, you know, like I said, most grownups, most business owners struggle with this. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'll give give you an example, actually. So I, I, and part of it is in the way that our brain works in terms of uh, reward. It's also about where fear comes into it, about the fears behind it. So you had a a fear there around um, uh, scarcity, which, you know, if we don't make the money, that impacts whether we can pay our mortgage, which impacts whether we can put food on the table, et cetera, et cetera, which drives an innate, innate fear. And fight, flight, freeze kicks in at that point. When when you see a scary animal like coming for you, 
all of the blood rushes from your head mm-hmm. <laughs> into your vital organs so that you can run away from it or fight it, basically. Yeah. When there's no blood or less blood in your head, do you think you can make conscious, well-formed decisions? Yeah, no. No, you can't. Okay. So operating from a place of fear, especially around money is not helpful. Um, but the reason for that, yeah, you're so, saying it's, a, a good it's, it's sort of in the nervous system is what you're saying. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Cause it's been pre-programmed into us when we were children, fight, yeah. flight, freeze. That's, that's how it works. I believe but, um, I, it's, it's a simple example of this. So I worked with a client who, um, they, they bought a shed business, shed building business. Okay. Uh-huh. Little garden put ups that you yeah. put your lawnmower and your bike in at the end sure. of the garden, right? The yard. And every day they sold a shed. So it's like little Pavlov's dog, little bell goes off. We sold a shed, we sold a shed. And they, these things were only 500 pounds. So what about six, seven, 800 bucks, uh-huh. not terribly expensive. They put them up in a day. Client would be happy. They'd make about a hundred pounds profit on each one, but it was shed, 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 yeah. ding, 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 shed, shed, shed. I call okay. that churn and burn, right? So at the end of their first session, um, and I'm, I'm in a studio at home here, which I built myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, oh, by the way, guys, I, I built this home studio. Do you not do those? Like they're really cool. You can have an office in them or a music studio or whatever. Oh, is it like a separate from your house? Is it like yeah. an outdoor kind of studio? Well, I call it like a studio shed kind of, yeah. Yeah, studio. That's exactly oh, cool. it. So, and they were like, oh, well, we, we kind of thought about it, but we don't really know mm-hmm. what we're doing. We bought a shed business. I was like, oh, no, that's just doing the same thing that you've always done. Like that, that like that's not going to get you to your next goal. Goals. So let's explore studios. Now the studios, we did the maths. Yeah. So, um, if you if you were to take a studio, uh, sorry, thirty sheds, it would be about the same money as one of these studios, mm. okay, income wise. Yeah, but it would produce fifty percent more profit when we did the maths on it, and you could put up one studio in the same time as about ten sheds, so it'd take a third of the time to put up. So we both came to the same conclusion: we should be focusing on studios, not sheds. Next next session comes around, coaching session comes around, and like, cool, how's it going? Like with the the studio, we were going to build a uh, like they had a yard where they had 15 sheds. We were going to knock down some sheds and put up one of these things so people could see it and this, that, and the other. Oh, we've just been selling sheds. Yeah. We can't sell studios. Cause what was happening was they would, I, we were like, just sell one a month. That's all you've got to mm-hmm. do. But if they sold one on day one, they would celebrate. They'd be like, yay, we sold a, we sold a studio. It's great. But if, if they had to wait 30 days in the month to sell a studio, they lost their mind. Because mm-hmm. now all of a sudden, like something's been taken away from them. They, they can't pay their staff. They can't pay their tax bill. They can't. There's all these worries and fears starting to creep in. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, but here's where we go full circle back around to goals and activity that, are, you know, right at the start that we were talking about. We've gone through working out what the numbers were. How do we get 100 people onto their forecourt each and every month? Because if they've got 100 people in there and they can have 10 to 20 buying conversations with prospective clients for studios, they will sell one to two studios a month. Mm, at least, yeah. And I and I said to them, just go and look at the numbers. How many people did you have on? And they, they were like, oh, we've only done 76 people like this month and we were a week from the end of the month. So I said, cool, go and find a way to get 24, 24 more people onto your forecourt. Mm-hmm. Have those extra buying conversations. And I'll guarantee that you'll sell another studio. You mean people to kind of look at the model? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, they went away, they did the work, did the activity that we discussed and they sold one and they were like, ah, oh, we get it. So if we focus on the lead indicators, the work that we've got to do before we sell, then it's going to lead to the sale 
inevitably. Yeah, and it, and it's a shift that you sound like you coach someone, but it doesn't seem like massive. It's like you know how to build stuff. So let's build this other thing and let's get the leads this other way, which didn't seem like too crazy. And it, and it massively transformed everything, I hope, I think, or at least yeah, made them well, think it- differently and have a different business model and don't have to like worry about selling these little things every day, and which is, sounds very stressful, actually, because that's a lot, lot, lot of product to move. That's it. I mean, they, they looked haggard before we started mm-hmm. working together. And I think I, I anti-aged them by five years in the, <laughs> in the short time we worked together. Um, so there we go. Fearless business is the best anti-aging like uh, ointment that you can get. <laughs> I love what you said, that, that artificially reduce demand, because I learned long ago in a, in a philosophy class, you know, a change, a change in quantity is a change in quality, you know, like... Hundred percent. This great business, and everybody loves you. And then suddenly, you can't do it all, and the quality goes down, and things are slipping through the cracks, and you're really stressed out. And yeah, it's time to raise the prices. I'm, I, I've, believe me, I've even even in what I do, it's it's it doesn't. It, it sounds like it's universal. Whether you, whether you're a plumber, a shed builder, an attorney, um, it's it's very. Uh, what you're saying is very um, resonating. And well, the the shift comes. I know we're kind of getting coming towards the end here, but the the shift comes um, when around the core beliefs. So when I challenge people to in, to raise their prices, the first thing I always hear back from them is, "Oh, nobody will ever pay that." Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Cool. How many people did you ask to get that information?" And they yeah. go. Oh, nobody. It's just what I believe. Yeah, cool. Exactly. Okay, we'll go and gather evidence. And some people will and some people won't. And my armchair psychoanalysis of someone who says that, it's like you don't feel comfortable charging that. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. But that one person's made a decision on behalf of all of their prospective clients. So all these people they could potentially help, they're now saying, I'm not going to help you by having that one belief. And so, you know, if anybody is struggling with this, who's listening to it, you know, <laughs> what I simply say is it doesn't, you don't have to double your prices or treble your prices or do any of this seven figure business bullshit, which quite frankly, there's, is rife in this day and age. Seven figure Brian. <laughs> <laughs> seven figure Brian. Seven figure Brian. Uh, but if, if you just, if you just put your prices up today mm-hmm. by 10% and go and pitch it to 10 or 20 people, I can guarantee, provided you know your numbers, you'll close between one and five and one and three of those people. Mm-hmm. Okay, at the higher price point. And that will just give you enough confidence. It will validate this assumption that we've made that you could increase your prices and you've got data. And then it will give you the confidence to then sell at that price and potentially put it up again. And what I'll add is also a beautiful opportunity in your personal life, in your business life to be okay with saying no. 100%. Someone says, that's too high. Will you do it for this price? And I learned this the hard way and the freedom of saying I appreciate your interest, but, but no, so much freedom for me. Cause I was always like a yes guy. Well, okay. I felt really guilty. And guess what? In the end, it doesn't work because I'm resentful and overwhelmed. And so say no, I love saying no. Every time I've said no to something, mm-hmm. I get that little, the little butterflies, the little pixie yeah. dust feelings inside, which go, uh, I feel relieved. I have this voice in my head kind of, I think it comes from my family. Like, why, why'd you say no to that? That's good business. You shouldn't say no to that. Why are you turning down? And like, I got to say no. And, and, and I, it, it's hard, but, it, but I do. Um, how about one more 
maybe just just a couple more minutes, and then I'll let you let cool. you go. I like what you. It's part of the book that you wrote. Excellent book. Take your shot, and we're going to put that in the show notes. How to grow your business, attract more clients, and make more money. I think it was either a chapter or a lesson that says, "Done is better than perfect." Tell me, like, I know we could spend hours on each of these topics. A little bit about that, and then um, that's pr- that's probably where where I think we'll end. Yeah, to, done is better than perfect because I think Absolutely. that's a big struggle with the, people. The the biggest thing which stops business owners from making progress is procrastination around creating the ideal product. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening? Imagine imagine this scenario where you've you've um, created this like amazing product. It's got all of the features that you think everybody needs, and it's taken you twelve months to build it. And then you finally big fanfare, and we launch it yeah. out into the ether, and nobody's interested. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's a bit gutting and a bit sad, isn't it? Do, and so my view is that most people can actually get to a point whereby, you know, let's say within a month, you could probably create 80% of what that finished article would be, mm-hmm. get it out into the marketplace, see if anybody wants it. And and within that, you're raising awareness, building interest in it. You're kind of doing marketing at the same time, but immediately you get feedback to say, well, no, you don't need this feature or you don't need that thing in there, or actually it would be better if you did this in there. And now imagine repeating that 12 times over the subsequent month. What you end up with is a product which doesn't get you to like, you know, I don't know, 20% of where you could have got to. It's like five times the quality of the product. Um, it, it's hard to explain this over a podcast, but it's five times better than it would have been like by repeatedly well, I want, making it I wonder it if it even applies to simpler things like you're launching a website and you just, I just it's not ready yet. <laughs> You know, but it's good. I mean, it's an eighty percent. Not just launch it, and then always tweak it. But you, you want to, you know, it seems to me that there, that's another one of those fear mindsets. You know, and people are just, I hate, you know, for lack of a better metaphor, afraid to pull the trigger because what if it doesn't work? Yeah, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something really harsh mm-hmm. now. Nobody cares. Yeah, nobody cares about your website. Nobody cares, and, and or, or nobody's like focusing on the things that you're worried about, like. So, so much so, yeah, that they're not going to buy from you. I think people who genuinely, genu- again, genuinely get your value, they're intrigued to know what you do and things like that. They'll, they'll see through a few typos or n- not the ideal photo on your website right. in order to get to you. Um, you know, it, having, having that website out there promoting a business is better than having no website for six months. Yeah, you're in the arena, right? Instead of like yeah. being a spectator. Yeah. And you, but you also get that feedback. Somebody, somebody might say, Oh, David, I was looking at your website, you know, that headshot you've Mm -hmm. got in there, you're like 10 years older now. You should probably update that. (laughs) Oh, great. Thank you so much for the feedback. I do have to update mine actually. (laughs) That wasn't a real example. I I I just made that on the spot, but, but you get the, you get the picture, you get the feedback, you can improve it. And often, oftentimes you won't notice those. It's other people who will. Also, you're going to die. So hurry up and. (laughs) As we started, who <laughs> um, was it? Um, uh, is the um, oh gosh, uh, I can't remember who it was who who said the quote. But um, essentially, like if you take a two-hour task and give it eight hours, mm-hmm. you'll affect. It's Parkinson's law. You'll make you'll make it four times more complex to fill up the time. Definitely, I like that. I haven't heard that, but I, I believe that to be true. I I think I think that's a good place. What um I always ask people, and I want to put you in the spot. Your books, 
uh, are a great resource. We'll put that on, of course, the website. Any other um, like life-changing books for business or life that you're like your go-to that you recommend for people? Yeah, well, I, I actually have. Uh, I mean, this this is more so for for my people in the coaching space, but mm-hmm. Prosperous Coach. Ah, is, yes, read that it, one. It, yeah, excellent book. Now it's 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 a it's a brilliant book, mm-hmm. even if you're not a coach, um, because it kind of teaches you on how to coach yourself. That's one of yeah. the things which I really liked about it. Um, Rich Litvin's like an incredibly inspiring guy. He's one of the probably one of the best coaches on the planet. I'd yeah. Say. Um, and his, and I, his, I'm very. I follow his. Um, you know, I subscribe to his blogs and newsletters, and they're. I keep them all in like a folder in my email because like they're mind blowingly good. Uh, the, the guy, the guy is so insightful in terms of like his style of coaching mm-hmm. and what he does. And I've had the pleasure of being mentored by him on a couple of awesome. programs. Um, and it, it, he's just his, the way he coaches, it's just like, you, you're sat there as a coach yourself. And not like, I, I would never profess to, I don't know. I know about 0.1% of what I need to know probably yeah. on, on this planet. Um, you're sat there thinking, God, I, I thought I had this. And then he comes up with something new mm-hmm. each, like every minute it's just something new and well, new. It's insight. so cool it's to hear remarkable. that because I've, I haven't done any of these programs. I don't know him. I follow him. I read his stuff. I read his book and it's good to know that he, you know, some people are like really good marketers and what you're saying is like, no, he's actually the real deal. And that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Life, life changing guy as a coach. Beautiful. Well, Robin, this is awesome. Um, very helpful to me personally as well. Appreciate your time. I know you got to go and thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. So fun. Uh, it's absolutely my pleasure, David. Thank you. You're the man. All right. What time is it over there? Uh, it's five o'clock, five o'one. It's five o'clock somewhere. Okay. All right. Enjoy time with your family tonight and do your thing and talk to you soon. Will do. Thank you. Take care. And there you have it. That was my conversation with Robin Waite, W-A-I-T-E. I really resonated with a lot of what he was saying, not just um, personally, but professionally, and picked up some uh, good insights for my own law practice. Um, but it can be applied to anything, side hustles, entrepreneurs, businesses. I enjoyed the part about the money mindset and also Ikigai, if you haven't uh, check that out or not familiar with it, Ikigai, I-K-I-G-A-I. Um, it's really cool and helpful and I think something definitely worth checking out if you do take nothing else from this one. Thanks so much. Look forward to seeing you, hearing you. Next time, I appreciate everybody listening. Take care.